you're going to do me a huge favor. Um, I want you to turn to somebody who's sitting next to you, either to your left, to your right, or to your back, or to your front. And I just want you to say good morning, and I want you to give them a compliment. And the reason we're going to do that is simply because you never know. That might be the first nice thing that they've heard all day, and you're probably going to make their day just by being nice and courteous. So just say good morning. How are you doing? It can be anything. Um, you look great, whatever, whatever the compliment is, just tell somebody, make somebody's day, make somebody feel nice. Yeah. Okay. All right, brilliant. That's what church is for, huh? <laughs> okay. I know I'm going to switch gears very quickly here because I'm past for time and I've got a lot that's on my heart that I really, really feel that God wants to share with us as a family. I absolutely love showing up to church because I feel it's the highlight of my week because I get to encounter the living God and get him to completely mess me up in a good way, right? But I want you to imagine, slightly shift of, or tangent here, I want you to imagine you're on your deathbed. Yeah? And you have literally um, a few breaths left and you're with loved ones and you're with people who are deeply important to you and you know that the words you're about to say are going to be recorded for the rest of eternity. What would you say? I would ask you to share with your neighbor, but you've been talking too much. So I'm going to ask you to keep that to yourselves. But I want us to turn to John chapter 19 and verses 13. John chapter 19 and verses 13. It says, when he had received the drink, so Jesus is thirsty. He's on the cross, right? He has been flogged. Um, he's been crucified. He's been starved because that's what they used to do during crucifixion. They would starve you. They wouldn't give you anything. And so he's thirsty. And um, Jesus says, um, I'd receive something to drink. So they give him some vinegar and some water, I think, to drink. And he takes that and he says this. Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So you can imagine after everything Jesus has been through, I mean, if you had gone through half of what Jesus had gone through, would you even have the impetus to talk? You'd be like, I'm done. <laughs> you know what I mean? You'd be closing out. But Jesus, with his last breath, has to say one thing. And the last thing he has to say that he knows is being recorded is, it is finished. I want to argue that probably these are probably the most powerful words, dare I say, most influential words that Jesus probably spoke in his ministry. It is finished. I want you to keep that to the back of your mind as I do this talk. Now I'll go back to Ephesians. Everybody with me? So keep it in the back of your mind. So the book of Ephesians is an incredible book and I have the privilege of jumping into chapter 2 as we're going through this book and I'm teaching from verses 1 to 10. And you see, before I start talking about these couple of verses, I need to let you know a bit about uh, the church in Ephesus uh, and who Paul is writing to. Because if you don't know that, then it's very easy to miss what Paul is actually saying. 
Because there's stuff that he says that if you do not understand the context in which he's saying it and to whom he's saying it to, we will, it will just go over our head. So the church of Ephesus is actually a very unique church. In fact, you actually see that in Paul's um, letter to them, unlike his other letters, he doesn't address issues of false teaching. He doesn't um, talk about any problems or questions the church seems to have. And in fact, some people have gone as far as saying that this letter of Paul, who wrote arguably nearly two-thirds of the New Testament, right, is the queen of epistles. It is seen as, it's, it's, it's in a different class to all the other writings of Paul. And the question I have is why? And the answer is very simple. Paul was talking to a no pushover church. Why? Paul, according to scripture, had spent over two years with this church, teaching them night and day. Hmm? Can you imagine Paul visiting St. Peter's and teaching us every single day for the next two years? Right? Not only that, when he finally left them, he did not just leave them with anyone. He left them with one of his key disciples, Timothy. The letters of 1st of and 2nd Timothy are actually written to Timothy who's stationed in Ephesus. And Timothy is a spiritual son of Paul. And so he not only teaches them for two years, he leaves them with one of his spiritual sons and his disciples. So this church knows the scriptures. But it doesn't even stop there. Guess who attends the service every single Sunday? <laughs> well, yes, Jesus does it, yeah? But where two or three are gathered, there he is, right? But guess who shows up every single Sunday through the doors? John the disciple was stationed at Ephesus, right? And guess who else showed up at church every single Sunday? Mary, the mother of Jesus, showed up every single Sunday to the church of Ephesus. So you can just imagine what this church was like. Can you imagine being able to show up to Mary after the service is preaching and say, can you tell me how Jesus was when he was in diapers? Like, did he cry? Did he do big stinky poops? Like, what was going on there? Do you know what I mean? Can you imagine the questions you could ask Mary after the service? Did he do miracles before his ministry actually began? All of these things. So the church of Ephesus was no pushover church. Are you with me? Paul was actually writing to a very mature church. This is why... He doesn't address issues of heresy, doesn't address many problems, because this church knew its stuff. It was a mature church. Why am I saying all of this? I'm saying this because it shows up in how Paul writes. Some of the things Paul says, in fact, in verses 1 to 10 of chapter 2, Paul literally in 10 verses summarizes the entire gospel. Just like that. Doesn't even butt an eyelid. Just summarizes it. Each verse is so potent that we could spend a whole year teaching on the book of Ephesians if we went verse by verse. That's how potent and deep this book is. Is everybody with me? Now I've got that all out of the way. I'm going to try and go very quickly through these verses. I want to skim through a couple of verses because I want us to point out some things. So Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. Listen to this. It says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. You see how Paul doesn't even try to 
to lay the ground. He doesn't even try to do that. In his other books, he has to almost explain everything he's saying. He is just jumping straight to the catch. He's saying, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins in which you used to live when you followed the way of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. So straight away in those verses, Paul sets up the spiritual topography of the spiritual realm and condition of man. You were dead in your sins. And he says it as a matter of fact. You were dead in your sins. You were dead in your transgressions. In other words, you had fallen short of God's standard. And what's God's standard? God is love. When we fall short of love, we fall short of God's standard. In simple and short. And usually, how does that look? It becomes become, become self-introspective. We care about ourselves. We start to become slightly narcissistic in our tendencies because it becomes about me, 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 me. And Paul says, we were all like that. That's where we were at. And he says something else, which is very interesting. He says, you followed the way of the world. Now, when he says the world here, Paul is not talking about the physical earth. The Bible uses this term world to represent the systems and the ways which are in the world, in the systems of the world, which are completely in antithesis against whatever it is God has or is doing. So this thing that is happening in the way the systems of the world work, that is against the narrative that God is always trying to achieve, the narrative of love. And Paul says, you are part of that system. And you were being controlled, introduce another thing, a ruler of the kingdom of the air. So Paul introduces this concept of the spiritual realm and says there's something else going on lurking in the shadows. And he's controlling all of this. He's talking about no other than Satan. I don't like to call Satan God's adversary because God has no adversary. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. No one can be his adversary. Um, Satan is just a fallen angel. that's all he is to God so God has no adversaries the only reason Satan is an issue is because he hurts God's people that's it but God is above that in fact when Lucifer sinned he said Andrew Michael go deal with that he didn't even shift off his throne I'm just saying that because sometimes we have a way of thinking about Satan like ah he's up there he's really not right not in comparison to our God right anyway so so he's saying all of this, and I'm, I've taken time to set this up because it's going to help in the rest of the verses I want to talk about. So he mentions and tells us this spiritual topography, and then he says something which is shocking in verse 3. I want to read this to you. He starts verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 2, and verse 3 says, All of us also lived among them. How many of us? All of us. Now, why did I say this is shocking? It's shocking because you're saying, Paul, are you saying all of us were following the ways of the world? Are you saying all of us were under the rule of the kingdom of, of the air? Were you saying all of us were disobedient? All of us, Paul? All of us were? Come on, Paul, you can't be right. It can't be all of us. Maybe some of us, but not all of us, Paul. All of us. And Paul is saying, as a matter of fact, all of us were in that condition. And the reason why I'm saying it's controversial is because we live in a day and age where there is a concept that has seeped in. And it's sadly at sometimes seeping even into the church that everyone is on their own path of enlightenment. It doesn't really matter 
whether you're a Christian, agnostic, or an atheist. It doesn't matter what faith you believe in. It doesn't matter um, whether you think of the Christian God or not. We're all on our own paths and journeys with God. And Paul is not saying that here. He's saying it's as simple as black and white. You're either in God and in faith or you're part of the other crowd. And it's like, that's controversial now. It's controversial. And it's like, Paul, in that one statement by saying all of us, destroys the concept of universalism, which simply shows that it doesn't matter what way you go, you simply will all end up in the same place. And I've got one simple thing to say. If that was the case, why would the father put his son through such a painful death if there was another way. In fact, I won't even say that. I'll quote Jesus' own words. He said, in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying with tears, says, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. Do you know what Jesus was saying? Is there another way? Do, can I get away with doing this without having to die on the cross? And he prayed this prayer three times. Look at the Gospels and look how many times Jesus prayed for anything three times. You won't find it. Jesus usually prayed once his prayer was answered. This time he said, God, if there is another way, please show it to me. And God says, there's no other way. And he says, not my will, but let your will be done. This is why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. If there was, Jesus would have taken it. Is anybody with me? Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? And so Paul destroys this concept messes up our modern day thinking to simply suggest there is only one way. But Paul is painting a very grim picture right now because he's basically saying it doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are, you are in the same camp. You are in the same camp. It doesn't save you. You're hopeless. And I don't know about you, but when I think about people in the world and I think about all the good people I know, it's like, are you, are you sure? And the best analogy to give is, is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. It talks about um, the fall of man just before man took the fruit, yeah? And it says when Eve is about to take the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, it's a tree called the knowledge of good and evil, and she's about to take it. It says this very quickly. I just want to read this. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable to grow, to, to gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Can I tell you something? Eve wasn't tempted by evil in the garden. That's not why she fell. She was tempted by the wisdom and the good of the tree. Everything that is good is not always God. Because in the fall, what happened was, what Eve was presented with and Adam is an alternative mechanism of dealing with their own morality. Are you going to trust in God for the tree of life and his goodness? Or are you going to balance the scales yourself with a tree of knowledge of good and evil? Do you want to do life without him? And I'm here to tell you, as shocking as it might sound, good does not always equal God. And this is where the Bible then again says, 
Man's greatest righteousness is like filthy rags before God. Now, I know what you're thinking because I feel it too. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there talking to myself. Andrew, I, I came to church to be encouraged here and to hear some good news. Like, what are you doing to me right now? But you see, I have to set this up because verses 4 starts with but. Everybody say but. I say, come on. Everybody say but. I always like to say God has a big but, right? Take that how you will, right? Right? It says but. He says, but because of his great love for us, God who is so rich in mercy. You see, you can't see the beauty of that statement if you don't understand the scenario we were in. We were hopeless. Whether we did good or bad, it meant nothing. We couldn't attain the standard to which his love demanded. And so now God steps in and says, but... Now I want to read these very quickly. He says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Time will not allow me to tell what these verses mean because I have to move on and make sure I get to verse 10 before this talk is over. But it's so beautiful. God is saying, you know what? This was your condition. I stepped in, not because of anything you did, but because I'm a merciful, loving God and I love you. And that's why I stepped in, not because of anything you can do. Because you were damned if you do, damned if you don't. It was because of his love. His good. This is why the gospel is called good news. You see, if you don't show how dire the scenario is, how can we receive good news? It's like going to a doctor and you're terminally ill, right? And you're terminally ill and you go to the doctor and uh, the doctor says, oh, good news, your terminal illness is gone. If you didn't know you were ill, it'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> didn't know I was ill, right? But imagine you know you've got a couple of days to live and you go to the doctor and it says, actually, your scenario's completely changed. You're going to live. You're like, oh my goodness. It's like life flashes back through your body. Like, oh my gosh, I get to live. And this is where we were. We were terminally ill. Nothing we did could help our condition. But, but, but Jesus came in. And then he says in verses 8, listen to this. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God and not by works so that no one can boast. I really feel I need to say this to somebody. We are not saved because of something we did. It was by grace. It was by grace. So no one can boast. I can't get up here and say, well, guess how many chapters of the Bible I read this morning? You know, I read a couple of chapters. Yes, yes, yes. I read 10 chapters this morning. 10, how many did you read? <laughs> Only two. <laughs> I'm better than you. <laughs> I can't get up and do that. I can't get up and do it because it's not by works. It's not by anything that I do. It's not how much I pray. It's not how much I give or don't give. Those things don't matter. Those things do not save you. 
We are all saved by grace. It is Jesus' act on the cross, full stop, that saves us. Lest any man should boast. But you know, I like, there's some quotes some people like to get very excited about this verse. And says, we never did anything to become saved and hence we can never do anything to lose our salvation. I wouldn't necessarily go as far as that because the, the verse doesn't say that. There is something technically that we did do. Does anybody else see it in the verse? I'll quote it to you directly from Jesus' words. Let's quickly go there. Let's go to John chapter 6 and verses 28. Very quickly, John chapter 6 and verses 28 to 29. And it says this. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God? You hear the question? They're seeing Jesus doing all this great, cool stuff. He's healing the sick. He's, he's, he's benevolent. He's all these amazing things. And they say, Jesus, we just want to be like you. Like, what can we do to be like you and do the stuff you do? And how can we live life like you do? And this is when Jesus is going to lay up and tell us. And like, yeah, okay, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. This is all the things you have to do. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Look at your neighbor and say, just believe. That's it. All God requires of us is to simply believe. And that's it. Everything that Jesus did all of a sudden becomes ours. No work needed. So by grace we are saved, but grace comes through faith. Belief. Not by works, lest any man should boast. And you see, many times when people read these verses, they stop here. It's like, thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. Thank you that you saved us. Remember, I did a talk uh, a couple of weeks back. Um, you can, I think you can grab it online. And I talked about how all of us get to the cross. And this, imagine this is the midpoint of the cross. And we always seem to have in our Christianity a retrospective viewpoint. So we're always looking from where we have come from, Right? Say, thank you for God for delivering me from my mess, from my issues. Thank you for delivering me from my sin. But there is something more. And you see, I love the Bible because the Bible is always consistent. Because remember, this is Paul's summary of the gospel in just 10 verses. Just 10 verses. And he says it as a matter of fact. Because he knows the church he's speaking to is very mature. But listen to what he says in verse 10. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just stop with you being saved. He says, for we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ. I love the imagery. Like you can imagine God in a workshop. He says, you're God's handiwork. Created in Jesus Christ. To do good works. Huh? I thought you said it's not by works. We're saved. Yes. These works, you're not doing them to get saved. You're doing them because you are saved. Do you hear the difference? Yeah, these works are not being done so you can be right with God. God is saying, you're right with me. And do you know what that means? Guess what? You do good stuff. Because you're right with me. It says, to do good works. But listen to what it says. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified Version. What the Amplified Version simply does is it goes into the original Greek 
uh, and Hebrew, and it tries to, to get at the little nuances that English sometimes fails to get at. You know what I mean? So it, it just basically squeezes out all the juice. You know, if you want more juice squeezed out, just jump to the amplified version, and you usually get all the juice, right? Let me, let me, let me, let, let's squeeze some juice now in the amplified. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. In the amplified, I'll read for you. For we are his workmanship, his own masterwork, a worker of art, created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set, so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. So Jesus says, I'm not just interested in saving you from your mess. I'm interested in giving you the very thing you long for. A good life. Good paths. Full of life. Jesus says, I came that you may have life and life more abundantly. He's like, I'm not just interested in you overcoming sin and transgression and knowing that you and me are righteous, that us, we're righteous, which simply means us and God are cool. We have no issues with each other no more, right? We're fine. He says, I'm not just interested in that, in restoring that. I'm interested in to making sure that you live life to the full. And guess what? I'm so interested in that, that before even you were born, the Bible says, <laughs> I'll read it for you in Psalms 139. It says this, it says, your arms saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God, before you even came on the planet, wrote all your days out. And he fashioned paths for you to walk that are good. And I just want to give you a quick analogy. This is what I feel sometimes um, we do. Sorry. I'm so sorry. I am really so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You're probably wondering what the heck I'm doing. At this point, you're probably going to ask me, what the heck in the world am I doing, right? Yes, because uh, this is a bit dramatic, yeah? What am I doing? I'm trying to get to the end of the auditorium. I'm so sorry. I'm not going to disturb you. Is there a problem with this? What's the problem? What's the problem? There is a path. Yeah? And there's not just one. How many paths are there? One, two, three, four. It's plural. Paths. Right? What's my point? We are like that. We're trying to have the fullness of life, but we keep thinking we have to be our own path. And God is saying, Jesus finished it all, guys. And that's why I started with that verse. Because when Jesus says it is finished, he was not just saying it is finished concerning your eternal status. He was not just saying it is finished concerning you overcoming sin. He was not just saying it's finished concerning the problems you have in your life. He was saying it is finished concerning every single area of your life. Concerning your dreams and aspirations. Concerning, Lord, what am I going to eat tomorrow? What am I going to wear? Jesus has one word to say over all of that. It is finished. Jesus did it all on the cross. And that's why when he was in pain and he had been beaten and he had been scarred and he was on the cross, he could not finish until he let everybody in this room know concerning you and everything you will ever need, 
there is one word that echoes through the chambers of the universe and eternity. It is finished. Jesus did it all. Can somebody give God a hand clap and thank Jesus? Let's all stand up. <laughs> I want us to respond to this word. This is why it's called the good news. It's good news. It's good news. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know what scenario you find yourself in today. But God is saying to you there is good news for you. Whether you're a Christian or you're not. There is good news for you. And that good news is in the package of one individual. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And so, I sense that there's two people, two kinds of people listening to this right now. Um, maybe Luca, the worship band, if we could just jump back on and just maybe give us some music at the back. But I sense there's two kinds of, of, of people. And the first one, you're, you're probably thinking to yourself and you're like, Andrew, I've never really known that this is how dire things were. I just always thought that as long as you were a good person, did your best, we will all end up in the same place, I guess. I didn't know that Jesus is the way, that he is the truth, and that he is the life. And maybe today, this is your opportunity to do one thing, to simply believe. To simply believe. But then I feel also there's some people here and you feel like, Andrew, I, I'm tired of taking my own path. I'm tired of trying to beat my way through life. I'm getting tired now. You're telling me there's another path and there's the path God has for me that will make me feel fulfilled and make me feel that I'm really living and that he planned it for me even before I was even born. He says to Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you and I ordained you to be a prophet. That's what he says to Jeremiah. God is so amazing like that because he's timeless. He knows you so well. He knows what will fulfill you. He knows what will make you happy. And I'm here to tell you there is another path. And so if you feel you fall in those two categories, somebody you're saying, I just want to begin my journey of faith. That, oh, Andrew, I... I want to begin to walk down the paths God has for me. Then I want us to respond to this. If I would just close our eyes for a second. just want you to give you a moment just to invite the Holy Spirit. And to see how he might be leading you. So if you fall in any of those two categories or if you fall in the third category just like Andrew, I don't know what it is but I just feel my heart is burning within me like I feel like something you've said today has just touched me and I just, I don't know what's happening but whatever it is happening, I just want God to keep doing whatever He's doing in my heart. If you fall in any of those two, I just want you to just to step out of your seats and just come to the front. We hopefully are getting used to this now. We're just going to respond to ministry. I just want you to come literally right to the front and you're just going to 
Just allow God to touch you and do what He's doing. It's okay. Just come to the front. And when you come to the front, you're just going to lift your hands, put them in front, in front of you. It's, there's no magic in that. It's just saying, it's open posture, just saying, God, whatever you have for me, I'm, 